This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello and welcome to the Thrive Podcast for the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you are either viewing or listening to this second podcast of 2019. Uh, We are in our second year of our podcast. We are so appreciative to those who consistently view and or listen. We do want to remind you that the podcast has expanded from one drop a week to five drops a week, and uh, we hope that you will listen in every day for new content. Uh, Today is our interview uh, drop, and I'm very happy and honored uh, to have a distinguished group of friends and colleagues here to share with me. Collectively, uh, we are known as Prophetic Voices. Uh, Individually, I have Pastor Tommy N. Gibson of the Donaldson Chapel Baptist Church, Pastor Dale Flowers of the New Sunlight Baptist Church, Dr. Errol Domain of the Young Grove Baptist Church, Reverend Jennifer Jones, who is uh, the director of Shiloh's Charitable Foundation and the Minister of Social Justice Issues here at Shiloh, Reverend Demetria Jones-Smith, who is the Minister of Christian Education here at Shiloh. And we thought it would be a good idea. Uh, Prophetic Voices uh, came together some time ago around Uh, certain social justice issues uh, that affected each of us in our communities, uh, like-minded individuals uh, who thought it would be good for us to sit down and talk and find ways that we can respond to those issues. And uh, we have hung together ever since, uh, trying to uh, respond to the needs that exist within our community. And uh, we thought it would be a good idea just to have the entire group, or most of the entire group, there are others uh, who could not be with us today, uh, just sit down and talk about prophetic voices and what it is that we're trying to respond to. First, thank you all for taking the time to share with us. Uh, Second, anybody, everybody, tell us what you think about prophetic voices. I can't have silence. That doesn't help us. Y'all got to say something. Uh, I think it's a golden opportunity to um, uh, create a transformation uh, in our communities. When I say our communities, uh, we all here, we serve um, uh, primarily African-American urban community. And so I think this is a a golden opportunity to plant seeds that uh, we can do some things. I agree. I agree with Pastor Gibson. It's it's an opportunity for us to get more done together as a group than we each can individually. So I think it, it, it's a great, great group, and I'm looking forward to us doing some great things. So I guess if we're going around the table, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what Prophetic Voices does is breathe life into communities and hope into communities that otherwise, uh, you know, may be in despair or just thinking things are not going to change. And here are thoughtful leaders who are trying to encourage persons in our community to say that things can get better if we make them better. It's an exciting uh, group of uh, people that we've come to to love and appreciate and watch um, as they not only uh, talk the talk, but walk the walk and get engaged and are actively involved in the community. Uh, it also provides an opportunity for debate around this table. <laughs> uh, everybody's their own individual. They bring different perspectives to this table. So it's, uh, not only are we friends and colleagues, but it also creates an environment that I think uh, mirrors what needs to happen in our community. Mm-hmm. So um, 
it's exciting to me uh, through the years of uh, being an activist and organizer, a clergy person in this community, to watch what these uh, young men and women have done and will continue to do that will add value, great value to our community. I believe Prophetic Voices gives us an opportunity collectively to make our theology public. Uh, in the realm of theological education is this rise of this idea of public theology, which is basically how you take your understanding of God and as Christians, our understanding of the of, of, of Christ and how do you link that to communities, to lived experience. So it gives us an opportunity as a group to do what we do in our individual lives and ministry, which is link the gospel, the social gospel, mm -hmm. uh, to lived experiences for our community and together, as Pastor Flowers said, we can do things together that we might not be able to do apart. So, exciting time. I think one of the things that uh, uh, is important to point out is that we recognize uh, as a group that we're not the only group uh, that exists within our community that has interest in these areas, in, in areas of police reform, in areas of payday lending, in areas of uh, uh, fairness and equity for the marginalized within our communities. What is it that you think that draws us together and uh, helps us to work cohesively and positively in the community? What is it about us? That you and I'm not trying to say we're better than anybody else, but but, but, but every group has to have its own uh, unique cohesiveness that makes it work. What, what do you think is it that makes it work for us? I think it's a theological compatibility. Yeah. Uh, you know, recently uh, a well-known um, televangelist, I think his name McDonald, John. John Maxwell John Maxwell made a statement that uh, uh, Jesus was not about social justice and that the church doesn't have anything to do with just social justice and you know my library is, is about 30 or 40 years old so I, I, I searched out one or two of his books that was tucked back then and promptly put them in the trash can <laughs> 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 And, what is holding up the leg of my sofa? And I'm, and I'm not joking. <laughs> so, uh, and but that was not. I was not surprised about that uh, because you could read most of the books and certain texts how they're interpreted. But I think what brings us together is that uh, we recognize that the uh, a biblical world. Uh, was, was filled with uh, in Israel was filled with people who were oppressed mm -hmm. uh, most of the time uh, Egypt Babylon uh, Persia Rome Rome the Greeks the Greeks and, and then the Ottomans and all and so mm -hmm. forth so uh, and, and that interpretation uh, that stems from that uh, was passed down through uh, uh, many of our ancestors. So I think that's what brings us to, to, together. I agree. Yeah. It's a it's a mindset, yeah. a mentality, and um, we all don't see the gospel and, of course, the work of God the same. Uh, and I, there's no one way of doing it. Uh, our mindset is around this table is after we save an individual, then what? 
You know, right. it's not about just okay, I'm saved and now let's make our way to heaven. Well, no, there's time between then, you know, now and then. What do we do now? Right. And we see the cries. We 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 feel the needs of the citizens of the city of Baton Rouge and you know and the state at large. And um, I kind of got that. You know, if if not now, when? Yeah. If not us, who? So uh, we've got to do it. I think the thing that initially brought us together, and correct me if I'm wrong, we all coalesced around the Alton Sterling shooting mm -hmm. in 2016. Uh, is, is that where we first started sitting down and talking? Was, was it before that? It was before okay. that. Before that. When, mm -hmm. All right, so help first me. When, when, when was it? Yeah, I'm thinking it was. Tommy refresh my, my recollection as yeah, they say. It's about, it was a year or two before then. Okay. I can't remember what was the... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to what it was that brought us together in the first mm -hmm. place. Uh, uh, because, understand, I'll speak for myself. I'm not much of a joiner. I, 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 I'm not big on on groups that don't act like you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I have a problem with groups that already have preset agendas and all they want you to do is uh, fall in line with their agenda, especially when their agenda doesn't necessarily line up with my own. And yet, we seem to have found a way uh, to come together and find more that we agree upon than we disagree mm -hmm. upon. And we, we have been able to hang together throughout that period of time. And I think... I, for one, find it very helpful and very beneficial mm -hmm. to know that I, I'm not the only person out there who thinks the way that, that, that I think. But it was before Alton Sterling, I know we met at Donaldson, and then mm -hmm. uh, Jennifer put together a workshop for us uh, on something. I mean, just on community mm -hmm. organizing and issues. And, mm -hmm. uh, we've been kind of going ever since. Who's the president of Prophetic Voices? So we don't have a president, and I think that's what makes us different. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about anybody else. Yeah. But, uh, Emphasize that yeah, point. Yeah. Well, we're not concerned about who's going to get the limelight or mm -hmm. uh, who's going to get the pat on the back. Um, and I think the other thing about it is we genuinely like to be around one another. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. debate and this is we deal with serious issues, but yeah. we also laugh a lot and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and make fun of one another. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think those are two things that make, make us uh, different. And the third thing is is that we are unashamed and don't run away from our culture. You know, we ain't scared to say black in public. Right. Mm -hmm. Amen. Black and right. Christian in yeah. public. Right. 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 I think what's key uh, for me around this group is, and what I enjoy most is um, certainly that we get along, but that we all bring our different perspectives, and mm -hmm. it's appreciated. Uh, nobody's trying to set an agenda for us, and uh, there's no big argument when we don't agree. <laughs> uh, I think um, in many ways our personalities <laughs> are similar. Um, we don't particularly like unproductive meetings mm -hmm. and the way we view church is not just on Sunday morning right it, it's about what goes on when we say the benediction mm -hmm. and the evidence of that is the work that I've seen all of these uh, all of you do and others who are engaged and involved and you do it in a way um, that's productive you know a lot of folk will join an organization just to be a part of Mm -hmm. And I think this group has shown me something different. 
Now, I do participate in a lot and of other groups that are out there, and I'm not trying to say that we're any better than that group. It's just the dynamics of this group that feeds me spiritually and even in a, in, in a social sense of uh, what we get to do, because you, you can't uh, always talk to preachers, and they just don't want you to... All they want you to know is that they're a preacher, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. not a servant, not an activist. Mm. And they see the gospel in action differently than what we see. They see mm -hmm. a, the gospel in action about how they dress and mm -hmm. uh, how they hoop. And mm -hmm. uh, Social justice doesn't mean the same to a lot of folks. So mm -hmm. this is what has been really fulfilling for me. But even the way we interact with each other, you know, we don't run around saying pastor and doctor no. and this and that. I mean, we recognize and affirm those things about each other. But one-on-one, uh, -on -one, we really do. Uh, like and enjoy and I know me not being from here it's wonderful to be able to affiliate uh, with a group of ministers clergy uh, who have that like minded that liberation theology I'm grounded in that I was bathed in that in seminary and even before and so to uh, be able to interact with clergy that have that mindset and don't just speak it or preach it but live it mm -hmm. live that um, that's valuable we have the audacity to have a bona fide PhD among us and so what are the issues that prophetic voices are wrestling with currently what what issues are, are, are present right now with, or well, are pregnant right now within our community that we're wrestling with? Well, you know, uh, one of the things that I think has been really successful um, over the last several months, over the last year, really, was the work that we did around civic engagement mm -hmm. and uh, making sure that our community understood how important it was uh, for them to, to vote. You know, and we didn't just ask them to go out and vote. We did a series of things collectively that helped to educate and uh, give give folk all that they needed to be able to make intelligent decisions, and then provide an opportunity. And as a result of that, there were a number of issues. You know, this this uh, the tax, uh, the mental health piece. Uh, we certainly, in many ways, tried to give a broad brush stroke of helping our folks understand that, but we are even going farther than that now mm -hmm. as we try to make sure that it's implemented in a way that benefits our entire community. Mm -hmm. So th that's one of the things. Um, you know, we're still talking about Alton Sterling's death. Yes. Um, and uh, we try among ourselves individually and collectively make sure that that conversation doesn't die in this community. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're looking at the kind of leadership that we need to be able to change some of those dynamics. So uh, to have a bigger discussion, and not just to discuss it, but to think strategically about not accepting what is and how do we uh, coalesce a community around uh, knowing that they have the ability to change what yeah. is. So yeah, those are some of the things. And I, I, I think to bring uh, legitimacy and take out a, to, to attack hypocrisy, one of the issues you were mentioning about, about civic engagement, I recall when President Obama was president, 
he wore a gray suit or a brown mm. suit. Or <laughs> they lost their mind. And they lost their mind. And and now mm. today we put up with a man who's absolutely crazy. Yes. <laughs> Certified crazy. Uh, ignorant, dumb, uh, uh and, and so what did this have to do with this? Well, we had a point in time where they called out some of the African-American council persons uh, for a decision that they've made. Uh, but yet uh, the, the, the same culture supports a nut as president. Mm -hmm. So uh, Secret Service coming to your house. Huh? You know that. Right? <laughs> 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 no, I got a little something. I, 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 I got baby boy. <laughs> That's part of the dilemma, the, the, the inherent hypocrisy that plays itself out every day, not just in national politics, but as it trickles all the way down into uh, state and local politics. Uh, and, and the fact that there just does not seem to be, although we've already acknowledged that there are other groups who, who seek to address all of these issues, just not, there does not seem to be enough that is being said, that is being vocalized about the realities of these situations on a consistent basis. One of the things that, that I know is that you can't just say it once. You have to say it a hundred times, a thousand times, before people begin to really hear what it is that you are saying. And one of the things that, that I appreciate is that uh, if I'm saying something here at Shiloh, I know that something similar is being said in Elm Grove, something similar is being said at New Sunlight, something similar is being said at Donaldson Chapel, and it magnifies, uh, out, radiates out into the community, uh, and uh, uh, that helps to get the message across, that there is a level of dissatisfaction that cannot simply be brushed away or ignored, but has to be dealt with and responded to. So uh, that's one of the things that, that I find so very beneficial about knowing that I'm not the only voice out here uh, saying these things. I agree. And I, I think we support each other in that way. And it's helpful when you open the door and it's closed. And then you open the next door and it's closed. And you keep opening these doors to close doors. It can be frustrating. Right. But around this table, we support each other. Right. And we say, well, hey, keep you open the next one, I'll open the next one, and, you know, we keep pushing, and we keep pushing. And, you know, there's, there's, there's that support there because you're, because of the politics of what goes on around us, it's set up for us to quit. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. think we're here to help each other. And, and I appreciate about everybody around this table that I know I can come to you guys and, you know, get the assistance that's needed, get the support that's needed, and we're going to work together to get it done. Uh one of the things that's coming up fairly quickly uh, has to do with uh, gerrymandered and uh, districts that have been uh, drawn in such a way as to nullify or limit the effectiveness of African-American voting. And one of the things that I know all of us are concerned about is, is making sure that by the time the lines are being redrawn in 2021, that uh, there be more fairness, more equity uh, that we see. And so we're, we're working now to try to make people aware and uh, to talk with those uh, uh, leaders within our community that will uh, be the ones who have to make the decisions as to how these lines are being drawn. So what 
what what do you think about the way that we're addressing that? So I, I think going back to earlier comments, what is powerful is that our congregants, the body of Christ, hears this message and is able to rally around the message of liberation theology or or, or, or social justice um, and the fact that, that we've been able to bring people together uh, allows them to see that not only are we hearing it, but uh, our collective efforts will be able to make a difference so that in the future when we are ready uh, to tackle some more complex issues, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, we will already have a track, track record, not just from external uh, forces, but from the people that we're counting on to work with us, uh, who worship with us every day, they'll mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. uh, that this is not just about the shout, mm -hmm. but yeah, mm -hmm. now let's go and tackle these issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's <clears throat> always um, makes me happy to, to see and sense our folk as they uh, come together to work together around what seems to be complex issues and helping them understand systems and, and how they can go about dismantling that and how they can understand their role as it relates to working to make sure that marginalized folk are brought into this. An example of that, of course, uh, happens often for us, but around the civic engagement focus, we um, worked with each one of your congregations and then brought these folk together. It was absolutely something that uh, I think needs to happen over and over and over again in this community to actually see these folk, once they get the tools that they need to be able to do that, and make Jesus alive mm -hmm. outside mm -hmm. of Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just marvelous to watch now. I know that there have been opportunities and times in this community where you could go to a meeting and it's almost a stage kind of thing mm -hmm. rather than yeah. absolutely, absolutely um, engaging the folk and allowing them to do it for themselves. That then begins to affect not only their personal lives and their family life, but the congregational life mm -hmm. and then the community life. So um, it's an exciting piece. And, and as this continues to happen, and uh, as it's been mentioned earlier, when we talk about liberation theology, I think some of the things that have drawn us together also is that um, even though Pastor Smith and I or a generation or two uh, separate. We both went to Baton Rouge High in a very difficult time. My mm -hmm. time was a little bit more difficult than he is. Mm -hmm. And of course, Thomas, <laughs> Thomas Gibson <laughs> was a part of that set too. And of course, these young fellows, they've tried to just knock open some doors and do some things. And uh, I don't know what Demetra brought to us from Kansas City. <laughs> she, she's Rebel come in rouse. fighting. So the spirits that are around this table is important. And I just see something that uh, I know is God for God is breathing uh, for this community and allow us to um, be able to do what we do and to work in the manner in which we do. One of the things that I have found uh, as I do these podcasts, uh, I'm, I'm often sitting across the table from people considerably younger mm -hmm. than I am. And one of the questions that I ask each one of them, uh, generally as I'm closing, uh, is do you have any intentions of staying in Baton Rouge. Is Baton Rouge the place where you want to live? Is Baton Rouge the place where you want to raise your family? And I, 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 I'm sad to report that more often than not, the answer is is no, that, uh, that they feel like uh, in order for them to fulfill 
their own personal aspirations, they have to leave Baton Rouge. What does it say about our community that young African-American people feel like they cannot fulfill their hopes and dreams within our city? That says a lot about the state. I have four sons, three live out of state, mm -hmm. and medical issues prevent the four from, from, from moving. And so uh, recently, I don't know how st st statistically correct the United Way uh, report was, was that would say about 19 percent of the folk in this region are poor, uh, and you could probably double that number when you include the working poor that they're mm -hmm. unable to provide for the basic mm -hmm. needs. But when you say talking to us about our age, I was not surprised because we always talk about that, that, you know, this is a, a poor city. And many of those are probably, the number's probably higher in the black community. Mm -hmm. So what I think it says a, 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 a lot about the history of our state, it's a, a poor state. Uh, it's, it's a poor state, and we still have vestiges of the plantation system left over because mm -hmm. the the poverty is disproportionate. Uh, th that uh, yes, the black middle class has grown, but you know, young whites are leaving also. Yeah, just it's no opportunities. Kids are going to Houston, they're going to Dallas, they're going to Austin, Atlanta. Uh, they're going to Atlanta. Uh, they're, they're, they're moving to these places because they feel like the opportunity is greater there. What is it that you all see that can be done that can stem that tide well, and, and cause some retention to take place? The economics is beyond my expertise. <laughs> but it's also cultural reasons that they leave, mm -hmm. that they leave. A, a closed mindset, mm -hmm. uh, the hypocrisy, uh, you know, we were talking about some things, other than, uh, uh, just, just total uh, uh, hypocrisy. Uh, uh, different uh, value systems for different folks. Mm -hmm. We. You know, conservatism mm -hmm. in a hypocritical manner. Mm -hmm. It applies to some and not others. Mm -hmm. And I think that's uh, our charge around this table. Um, one of our charges, not to make it better for us, yeah. but so as we work, these young folks will see an opportunity and they will see, you know, um, doors being open for them. Mm -hmm. But we're going to have to be the ones. I, uh, you know, our pastor often says, you know, the trees that we're sitting under, the shade that we're enjoying, we didn't plant these trees. Mm -hmm. And now we've got to start planting trees. We're not going to enjoy the shade of it. Mm -hmm. But our mindset has got to be, you know, I've got a 22-year-old and a 10-year-old. Uh, my 22-year-old isn't going anywhere because her mom won't let her. <laughs> but, uh, my 10-year-old, I can already see in her her head, she's already like, you know, I'm, I'm out of here. She's 10 years old, mm -hmm. you know, but that's, you know, her mindset. So if she wants to go, and, and if any of them want to go, fine, but I'd like them to have the same opportunity here than they do elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's the work, you know, that, that, that we're doing now, I do believe. But we're playing the, the, the hypocrisy in my other life in criminal defense work. Say so he had a gun. Mm. 
actually we're a Second Amendment state. We we love guns. Mm -hmm. What's the problem? Mm -hmm. It's not we. He had a gun. It's who had? Who had? <laughs> yeah. 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 He was black I'm black looking black. at a big billboard. Uh, at Gonzalez uh, Gun Show. Gun yeah. Show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 in the paper. You know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have a, you want to have a buy, gun buyback? Some of my people need their gun in the house. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I have members asking me, do we need a security guard at the church? Uh, so, uh, it, but then the prosecutor would tell you, well, but they're killing in the neighborhoods. Yeah. You can't predict who's going to do that. Uh, but it, it's it's who has the uh, guys. We have a lot to do on our, our, our end, yeah. but it's vestiges left over mm -hmm. from a previous uh, uh, system. So uh, I, I think that hypocrisy has a has a, a lot to do with our money and hypocrisy. Yeah. I think that plantation mentality works yeah. both ways. Yeah. So yeah. even with us in our community, yeah. you know, always making sure that it's all right with the dominant culture that we are even human sometimes, yeah. mm -hmm. that we do what we do. And as far as changing that, I think uh, we who are um, thinking have to tackle the hard thing to bring about innovation through probably four groups. Uh, black church, of course, because we, we own it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, the black bank, mm -hmm. the black school, mm -hmm. and then the street. Mm -hmm. right? If mm -hmm. we could somehow, maybe it is just planting seeds in our generation mm -hmm. that the next generation will break it up. But I think that's the way that we change the mentality uh, to bring about change for our community in real lasting ways. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I think a, a lot of why, as we talk to young folk and, and all they think about is getting out of here, and others who've been around for a while, they have um, just gotten apathetic because they don't think that anything can change. Yes. I think the work that we do is have to demonstrate that it's possible uh, and then help them understand that they have to be a part of that change. Mm -hmm. yes. So we could sit back and, yes. and we could preach to put salve over mm -hmm. the pain that comes in mm -hmm. front of us every Sunday and every Bible study, or we could help empower them to to see how this could actually mm -hmm. move. So I think there's a, a lot of things that's going on, especially with our millennial group. Uh, they're kind of all over the place, but they're willing now because they've seen it happen in other places um, to know that they've got to be a part of that change. And I think part of our role is to make sure that we provide them with the tools mm -hmm. and uh, that they need to actually make that happen. And then we have to be models of how that happens. Mm -hmm. So I think we, we're headed somewhere, and part of the work that we do collectively together, and as we share with others in the community that's doing it, they'll begin to see that, because it's just like we talk about church hoppers. They get disgusted over something that happened in the church and leave, and then they go to another and find that it's worse. Mm -hmm. The same thing moving to these other cities. You move to some cities and you realize it would have been cheaper to stay in Baton Rouge. And also, having lived literally all over the mm -hmm. world uh, for a number of reasons in my life. Um, plantation structures and mentality exist all over the place. Mm 
So you can go to Texas. Mm-hmm. You can go to Atlanta. There might be some additional opportunities, but some of those same factors are going to meet you there. Okay. So if you have not been given the tools as a young person to be able to transform, radically transform your mind, yeah. to know, although a plantation, vestiges of a plantation system might be operative, that doesn't mean that you're a plantation worker. Mm-hmm. So you have to change your mind. Mm-hmm. And so part of what I think we're doing is giving young people and people in general the tools to be able to dream and vision again. Mm-hmm. That you can make Baton Rouge be the beloved community, be yeah. Zion if yeah. we're going all biblical mm-hmm. and theological. Mm-hmm. Wherever you are can be that. But you have to be invested That's in it. making mm-hmm. it so. That's and it. so, you know, going someplace else, well, you know, when you're young, it's nice to do that. Uh, and hey, I, I say all the time, go experience it and if you don't like it you can always come home Mm -hmm. but wherever you go there there will be forces that seek to dehumanize you that seek to make you less than to 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 keep you from understanding that you are a light you are love that you are somebody as a black individual Mm -hmm. so if we don't even give you the tools to know that regardless of where you go you're still gonna struggle am i wrong to believe that change can can happen more quickly in cities like Baton Rouge than in cities like Dallas, Houston, Austin, Atlanta, simply because we're not as big as those cities and because we are smaller, because we uh, know, Baton Rouge is really a small town. I don't, I don't care what you say, the metropolitan area, everybody knows everybody. Uh, I, I believe that because of our size and because we have relationships with one another uh, that are not just tangential, but, but that we actually have substantive relationships, whether we want them or not with people, that we have greater opportunity to have meaningful exchanges with those people uh, that, that, that you might not have in a Houston or a Dallas or an Atlanta. What do you think about that? I, I think that's the Southern culture. Southern culture. Uh, I mean, the, the master and the slave had great relationship. Long as the master was master, and the slave was slave. Talk about uh, it's it's great relationships with we are co-workers, but when I become the boss, it changes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it changes. So, and I think our young people, and I, I'm not talking out of my head. I know. Sure. I, I have four sons. Yeah. yeah. And so, but one of the things that's difficult to change is the economic structure. Mm-hmm. You know, you say why young people leave. Yeah, you see fourplexes and high rise and buildings mm-hmm. come up, and mm-hmm. it's difficult to get capital only for a, a car and houses in certain areas. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's difficult. It's, get to get, it's get difficult to get bank money for affordable uh, housing or venture capital or whatever you want to call it for uh, uh, community endeavors. But it seems like some people find money to do with everyone. If you got, mm-hmm. if you got a shovel in a pickup truck, you get along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but, but, but our young people who have dreams, you can have them dream, but mm-hmm. one of the things, you can get the, the money. If you don't get a plant job or work in the health industry, mm-hmm. uh, 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 a state government, 
what opportunities uh, uh, there are here. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's no high tech. There's no. Uh, black entrepreneurship is something that we're always talking about. You know, yeah. we, we need we need to reemphasize black entrepreneur. Ship. But you have to get uh, the money. Yeah, I, I understand. <laughs> my, 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 my question is, is there a path that will open doors of opportunity for black entrepreneurship within our city uh, that any of you see? It will take radical, it will take a radical change mentality. On our part. Uh, to, yeah, change of our right. mentality mm-hmm. uh, to decide to start taking care of us mm-hmm. and stop depending on the so-called dominant culture mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to fund what we do uh, and and that's more than a notion because mm-hmm. right? you got to change us first mm-hmm. and yeah. we start mm-hmm. thinking that it, we got to get the approval of somebody yeah. else before yeah. we're doing it yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well it goes back to what you said about the black church the black bank the black school and the, the, the black street right. the idea that we have to radically change our mindsets towards black banking mm-hmm. but also understanding that the way that the first black banks in the country were founded was people said we're going to put our pennies together, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but exactly. it's that and, and that a black bank is just as good in fact it will be better than any other bank because mm-hmm. we are in control yeah. so it's the radical transformation of mine. Right. Mm-hmm. It'll take the masses to, to make it that happen mm-hmm. rather than depending on a few at the mm-hmm. top mm-hmm. to go talk to Mr. So-and-so to mm-hmm. make it happen for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think going back to your question about the size and will it be easier, I don't know if us being smaller will make it even more difficult because mm-hmm. I can control this mm-hmm. while it's small, mm-hmm. and as it gets bigger, well, I begin to lose some of the control. So, mm-hmm. it may be even more difficult to do it because we are smaller, mm-hmm. and those have, who are in control I have, have relatives who live in large cities, and, and who all you know, even when I was a child, I don't know why you want to stay in Baton Rouge. Why don't you come mm-hmm. out to where we are? I do know this. Sorry about that, Terrence. I do know this that. If I lived in Los Angeles, I'd probably have a more difficult time getting the mayor uh, on the phone than than living in Baton Rouge. I I, I don't think I would have such an easy uh, time getting the mayor of Houston or the mayor of Dallas on the phone as the mayor of Baton Rouge. That, that 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 that's just what I'm what I'm thinking. But, but Even when the mayor was not African American, mm-hmm. we could we, we could. Pick up the phone and call, and say, "Mr. Mayor, we need to have a, a meeting. But we I, need I, to sit down and talk." I think what we've learned, though, so what you could get the mayor on the phone. The real power is in the folk who control the money. You know, we've had a black president for eight, eight years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I mean, uh, the power is the ability to get something accomplished. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. You make and get in a smaller situation. The mayor answer your phone, but uh, when Boss Hall comes, he, he's gonna get the phone. He's gonna his call is gonna get through too, and he he's gonna be on a longer conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, uh, I, I think it's you know we forget this is a capitalistic environment. It is. You got to have the money. You know. Uh, uh, enough of the masses to influence what happens with the, with yeah. the mm-hmm. so there are two black financial institutions in in the Baton Rouge area that I'm aware of uh, one is a bank and one is a credit union uh, 
what do we do to expand uh, that number from two to three or four? And how do we feel about the fact that even though we have these two, they're not always accommodating to hmm. to the needs that we present hmm. to them? In, in total fairness, uh, I know personally, uh, we, Trying to work with one of them was an extremely arduous process, and and finally, after two years, we had to walk away. And and when we walked away after two years, within three months, we were able to do what we needed to do with somebody else. So that kind of frustration, you know, not so long ago, I was advocating that we all move our money into in, into this particular black institution. Mm-hmm. I ain't so sure I feel that way, <laughs> that way anymore. I think it's key that uh, we be strategic in our thinking and part of what that means, using the example that you just gave, is that if um, a contingent group of us would move money to uh, a particular place mm-hmm. that wasn't necessarily African-American owned, it could be led or we could help create the environment to make sure that there was African-American leadership there mm-hmm. that then could spin off to something else. Mm-hmm. But part of what's, well, I can't say can't happen uh, or needs to happen is that the, the level of trust among churches and pastors mm-hmm. who understand could understand their collective power around mm-hmm. just on one Monday morning, mm-hmm. all going down yeah. to the mm-hmm. bank, whatever Jesus, bank you're yes. part of, and mm-hmm. moving your money mm-hmm. collectively mm-hmm. together then gives us um, <laughs> the kind of power that we might need to say that mm-hmm. these young folk who need to get some loans to mm-hmm. uh, start their business mm-hmm. and uh, to buy homes or whatever, that's when that kind of thing happened. Mm-hmm. But that goes back to the slave mentality. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, so we have to deal with that historical piece as well. So mm-hmm. I think we have to be honest and say that there is a different kind of mentality between the black bourgeoisie mm-hmm. and or the so-called bourgeoisie yeah. and and the masses, right? Because those people who are sitting around board tables at those institutions making decisions may mm-hmm. not even care about the people mm-hmm. who have to move up and down Eddie Robinson Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's where we come in as right. a collective and say, mm-hmm. okay, we're bringing this money here mm-hmm. and we want X number of things mm-hmm. to happen in our community or we're taking our business somewhere mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. So we got to treat them like we would treat anybody else, the other bank. That's right. Mm-hmm. This is going to drop, as, as this is being recorded, it is Thursday, uh, January 10th. This is going to drop on Monday, January 14th. My assumption is our federal government will still be in shutdown uh, uh, by the time that this drops. Uh, what are your feelings uh, as clergy about uh, the government shutdown and how it affects uh, the people who attend worship with you? I think we have to be sympathetic enough to know that there are people who are affected in one way or another uh, and and not remain so hyper-spiritual that we don't forget that there are people who are genuinely worried about their future, mm-hmm. uh, who don't know how to feed their children, mm-hmm. or maybe even embarrassed by the plight that they're in and try our best to deal with very real issues, even if it means saying, hey, if you need some help, you know, contact me on the side. I'm not going to bring you in front of the congregation mm-hmm. and put a $100 bill in your hand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that we can help people mm-hmm. through this because 
I mean, we can shout all we want, but Entergy is not going to say, you know, how big is your faith? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, isn't that what our president said? That? Yes. <laughs> They'll work with them. them. No, yes. folks are not going to work with you. Have a garage sale. Yeah. Sell your stuff. Yeah, exactly. Foolish. Exactly. Um, but also, I think um, being sympathetic is important, but it also reminds us that many, many people and families in this uh, country would be in trouble if they did not have a check. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yes. Two weeks. Miss one paycheck. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. How, how many people in the position that if you missed your paycheck for for two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, God forbid, any longer than that, mm-hmm. that you'd still be in a good spot because mm-hmm. you have the requisite, they say you need to have a minimum of six months of this and that. Most people don't have that. And then when you look yeah. at marginalized African-American communities, Latino mm-hmm. communities, uh, poor people don't have it. So it also reminds us, too. Um, just just the plight, the economic plight that our people in our communities are in, and then always still thinking, how do we help ourselves to be more self-determinant? Mm-hmm. There's something in our communities that we all know, but sometimes we become so sophisticated that we forget, but everybody need a side hustle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Come on. It's funny you say that. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I first started pastoring, I, w- I, was, I was pastoring in New Orleans, Louisiana, and, and one of the mentors, one of the preachers, friend of my father's, who took me under his wing when I was there, was Reverend Zebedee Bridges, yeah. pastor at Asia Baptist Church. Zebedee Bridges had about... 200 rent houses mm-hmm. in the in, in the wow. New Orleans area. Yes, and he used to tell me all the time, if you just depended on church folk in order to pay your bills, <laughs> you ain't gonna make you ain't gonna make it. You gotta have something on mm-hmm. on, on the side. So what you're saying resonates with me based upon my experiences with him. But the truth of the matter is, most of us, I'll just speak for myself, I ain't got nothing else. I, thank God I am paid, and, and my, my entire adult life, I've been paid by the church. I, I, I've never worked anywhere outside the church. Uh, to me, it, it, it's one of the great things about uh, being in the pastorate uh, that the Lord has blessed me to see. I don't get paid by white folk. I am not beholden to white folk. Uh, Every dollar that, my dad used to say, every piece of bread on your table is Baptist bread. (laughs) That that was put there. Black Baptist bread. And and, and that's what my experience has been. That being said, there are people out there who, if they miss not two paychecks, if they just miss one paycheck. Yes, paycheck. They're in a world of trouble. Yeah. And and they don't have a side hustle. And they're going to turn to the church. And the church, sure. they're, they're going to say, church, can you help me? And the truth of the matter is, if we have enough members who work, uh, who don't get paid, mm-hmm. then it won't be long before the church is not That's going right. to yeah, be right. able right. to help people. Right as well. This is a dire crisis that, that we have been led into by an egomaniac uh, who, who really has nothing more on his agenda than just to uh, cater to alt-right uh, uh, manifestos and belief systems and has no basis in reality. And yet I don't see where the Democratic Party has an adequate response at this time to, to bring this whole thing to a close. And and we're just pawns on the chessboard that are that, that are being knocked off one 
after another. You know, the, the sad part or the frightening part uh, for me is that uh, as we sit around this table, uh, we can feel our people's pain because we've been there. Mm-hmm. We're not there right now, <laughs> if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, Donald Trump and uh, Congress, if you want uh, the truth, except these new ones who have right. just come in, they can't really feel the pain of what we experience, even in you know, our mission work, um, in terms of how we help the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, for the last several months, have had as many folk in our congregation mm-hmm. as we have folk coming in from the community mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we have to help. Mm-hmm. And it's not the, you know, all of us have chronic folk who continue mm-hmm. to come. But I'm talking about people who you wouldn't imagine mm-hmm. are having the kind of concern. So when we think about how the federal government is not even thinking about this, the sad piece is that they don't even, nope. I don't want to say care, they just don't know. Mm-hmm. They, they haven't been hungry. Mm-hmm. They haven't right. had to figure out how their light bill was going to uh, get paid. Mm-hmm. Or they hadn't had to make a choice about whether or not they're going to get their medicine, yep. the whole bottle, or could just get a few pills. Yeah. Uh, just think about the elderly in this, in this dynamic. Um, it, it's just unbelievable. But, um, and, you know, to say that, just to have faith and hold on, help mm. his own way. Hey. Hey, okay. Uh, yeah. So we, okay. that's why we do what we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, everything around the table is, is, is truthful, uh, has been stated. I, I think that, um, or I know that, when our community begins to feel this, the church is the first place. Yeah. That's going to yes. take the hit. Yeah. Yes. As in, if our members are not being, are not have, are not able uh, to take care of themselves financially, the first place that we're going to cut back. Mm-hmm. I've got to pay energy. I've got to mm-hmm. pay my house note. Mm-hmm. Church isn't going to get it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we're not able to provide for others who are in need. Mm-hmm. Right. So it has an effect not only on our members, but on us as a church being able to minister to others in mm-hmm. that way. Surely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got to. Not only use our voices, but whatever mechanism we have to to get with Congress to somehow reach our president, you know, and let him know that what they are doing is not not only I'm not going to argue about a wall. I don't know anything about a wall, uh, but what I do know he doesn't is, either. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But what I do know is people should not be used as pawns right. mm-hmm. in your game uh, in order to receive some wall that from what most folks are saying, they ain't going to do any good. Right. So I think that we need to find a way to address the needs of our people again, to change some mentalities. Uh, and it's going to, it, it starts with us. I believe that the church is the difference maker. Uh, I think when Christ said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, he didn't give that power to the White House. Mm-hmm. He didn't give it to Congress. He gave it to us. Yes. Yeah. And we have to yes, use sir. it for the betterment of our community. Yes. Any last words anybody want to say? I, I really appreciate the time that you all have given uh, to to us today, uh, to the Thrive Podcast audience. Uh, anything anybody want to say as a closing? This has been great. Yeah. Conversation is, is very rich. Yeah. We do this all the time. Right. We do. Yeah. We're just on camera today. <laughs> Thank you all so much for viewing. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next time.